welcome to... Hey guys, can you keep it down? I'm trying to record a podcast over here. Oh, there we go. Sorry about all that noise. I'm a project manager at a construction site building the internet. <laughs> no, seriously. I'm focused on data center construction with a passion for electrical mechanical systems. Enough about me though. Welcome to the podcast, Doing Girly Things, a podcast focused on breaking down the stereotypes surrounding construction, engineering, and other STEM-related fields and making them girly things to do. In this podcast, I answer all the questions I've been asked as an engineer about how things work in personal stories from people in these positions. This podcast focuses on answering questions from professionals, authors, and even a sexologist. I'll be interviewing men and women to talk about topics, how to effectively communicate in the workplace, and what does fashion have to do with engineering. Lastly, before we start the episode, I would love to introduce my weekly newsletter. Go to Doing Girly Things to join the weekly Toolbox Talk. This letter will be a 10-minute read in your inbox for a weekly update on what Doing Girly Things is up to. This is my way of trying to beat the algorithm and deliver content to people that actually want to read it. In the newsletter, you'll gain knowledge about basic construction topics, clips and quotes from the episode, resources, and of course, the cute silhouette I make for each guest. Go to my website, Doing Girly Things with 1G to sign up. Hope to see you there. And if a weekly newsletter isn't your thing, always feel free to like and subscribe on the app that you are listening to or head over to Instagram and you can see all of the content there that um, we've been producing over the last couple months. Now, time for the episode. Hello, this is Megan testing. There we go. Alright, today on Doing Girly Things, a podcast where we change the stereotype around engineering and construction and all of the things and make them girly things to do. Today I have Pedro. I met Pedro through the app called Clubhouse. Through that app, him and I actually connected because he is not only a girl dad, so of course I was drawn to that, but he also has a podcast, but has a podcast in the construction space. Today, Pedro and I are going to talk about safety and how do you communicate good safety procedures and just kind of what is safety in the workplace and getting that across to your employees. But first, Pedro, how about you introduce yourself and give us a little briefing on and what you do for a living? No, thank you, Megan, for being, you know, having me on your, your platform, your podcast. This is, this is awesome. Um, yeah, no, me, a little bit about me, uh, Pedro Maciel, I am the host of the X Factor Safety. Uh, I've been a safety professional for 11 years now, going on 12. Um, like you mentioned, I am a girl dad to four beautiful daughters. So, uh, two of them who love science and, and, you know, are all about STEM and, you know, being out there and using their hands and their minds. So, uh, kudos to that. Um. But yeah, the podcast, the X Factor Safety stemmed from communication uh, loss on construction sites uh, to the employees, the upward communication from the employees to middle and senior management. Uh, So I just felt there was a need for it. And then as it progressed and and the podcast has grown, uh, I talk about some of the uh, the unorthodox stuff that say most safety professionals uh, in the construction space don't uh, really tend to utilize. And that's their emotional EQ, 
the the culture building and leadership building. So uh, that's what the X Factor Safety is. And the new podcast that you bring up is uh, Real Talk Podcasting, which stemmed from where me and you uh, met mm-hmm. uh, on Clubhouse. It's uh, a podcast that dives into you know weekly news around the podcasting space, and then we give our take uh, on a certain topic and we answer questions from, you know, our clubhouse community that we've built uh, over the past, uh, you know, two months, as well as anybody that, you know, comes over to the website and, you know, gives us a question there as well. But one thing about communication with the construction industry is just the fact of how much we can save lives. And that, I think, is why I am so personally drawn to safety in the workplace. And so as I was briefly just looking up safety, and so every meeting that I have, and much like yourself, you're probably the one giving the safety meeting, is most meetings in construction start out with a safety moment. And so this actually surprised me, but the annual cost of fatalities is $4 billion, and 39% of the time, it's accounted to falls. And 60% of construction workplace industries occur with an employee's first year of an employment. And I thought that those were both two shocking factors, because kind of what it tells you is that Really, whenever an employee first comes in, there is this huge gap of communication between what is, what is safe and what is unsafe. And so if you, you said you've been in the industry for, you know, a decade. So how have you seen kind of the communication get better or get worse between safety and those new hires? I actually have seen it, uh, on both sides. I've seen it get better. In, in some industries and in some construction sites and that I've been on that I've heard uh, fellow colleagues that have been on and I've also been a part of some of those that are you know complete crap uh, the communication barriers are not there there's no upward communication stating you know hey I see this problem hey there's this hazard we need to fix it and you know the mid-level management or senior management uh, doesn't want to hear anything except when the job is going to be done, which then, you know, stems from production. And I understand the production side being uh, a a laborer coming from a laborer background before I even got into safety. um, I know all about getting the job done by any means necessary. But uh, when you start adding and factoring in loss of life, no job uh, and no bottom line, revenue is worth the loss of life in my Mm -hmm. opinion and so how have you so why is safety so important into the workplace which i honestly thought was crazy because that was the most searched question for the word safety yeah so and you know i didn't i didn't want to not answer your question your previous question so Uh over, over the decade how i have seen the communication barriers get better is um, safety professionals understanding that it's not about production and that safety professionals in their profession, whether you're brand new, uh, you know, two years fresh out of college and that's what you get into, or you've been in it for 10 years, you at the, at, at, at your construction site, at your workplace, are responsible 
for everybody there. But it does not always fall on the safety guy or the safety gal's shoulders. It is a Mm -hmm. community effort that has to be instilled in everybody. Um, And that's where the the, the emotional EQ, the um, culture building, and and the community building starts. Once you have that and you build that community, you start having those really in-depth conversation as to why uh, safety isn't just a rule or a book of rules, but an actual core value that you live by coming into the site, leaving the site on your way home while you're at home on your time off. Um, You know, it's those conversations that then start to build and flourish a good safety culture. There was a quote that I was reading whenever I was, um, and it was, yeah, safety is a mindset. It's not just something you do at work. Yeah, it it has to be. It has to be. You know, you just don't do it at work because, you know, when you get off of work, you get into, you know, a, a very dangerous piece of machinery. And not only worrying about you inside that machinery, i.e. our vehicle, um, but you have to worry about everybody else around you um, to see if they're distracted, if they're paying attention to the roads, if they are, um, you know, having, having issues, you know, somebody has a heart attack. It's not planned. It's, it's an accident. It's Mm -hmm. just, you know, one of those things that happens, but what happens if you have a heart attack on the highway while driving your vehicle? You know, those are the things that people don't, think about when they get off of work you know they're like damn I don't want to think about work I want to just you know think about seeing my kids I want to think about being at home with my wife I want to think about you know cracking open that you know nice (laughs) cold beer when I get home those types of things or maybe all three things (laughs) or maybe all three (laughs) and so one thing that we've done on my job site is we actually have a QR code. And so if you see anything unsafe, you get out your phone and it takes you to kind of like a Google form. You fill it out and it goes directly to the safety professional on site and then they can make the changes. And so changes that people will make, well, they'll say, you know, there's no walk path from A to B here and things like that. What are ways that you have found to be successful to um, give suggestions or make it so there is an involvement between the people that because I also find that the disconnect is the people that have to follow the rules and the people that make the rules oh yeah definitely Uh, the, the people that make the rules cannot be somebody that's sitting in an office and has not been out to the job site has not put their hands on a piece of machinery or put some gloves on to help to understand how this rule is going to affect the workforce. And I say this because I was also a corporate safety director at one point in time. Um, But I come from that working background. So the best way to make a rule and have it stick uh, and make everybody aware of this rule that we're putting into place is actually going out and seeing and putting your hands on where the guys are going to put their hands to see if it's going to, is it going to impede them from doing their day to day? Is it going to be another layer of security and and hazard uh, mitigation? 
or is it going to be just something that we implement, we say we have it, we put it inside the handbook and everybody forgets about it when we turn our backs. And that's the, that's the type of attitude and behavior we don't want. We want to, you know, generate good, clean behavior. So if you don't have to implement a rule, don't implement a rule just to implement a rule. What you want to do is figure out the processes, the procedures, and the best way is from the guys and gals that are actually doing the work. And for the for the listeners, the JHA, the job the job site analysis is and stuff is actually pretty crucial in what I what I do every day. Um, I do data center construction, and so whenever people want to come on the site and they want to do any sort of work, it's this. Well, what exactly are you going to do? Because you don't just let anybody into these facilities either. I really do like the job analysis because it makes sure that whoever is doing the work and whoever is supervising both understand all the tasks because sometimes you start asking questions like well why do you need a ladder then they start looking at the task and like i don't i don't know and weed out these safety issues where people just will bring a ladder to a space where they don't really need one or they just start to get the tools out that they don't really need. And so it does kind of create. And so Pedro, you um, you mentioned that you're a safety professional and that you traveled around. What? Do, how do you get to become a safety professional that travels around? And what is that career like? <laughs> uh, you, you go into confined space and then when you get tired of going into confined space and getting dirty and long <laughs> hours, uh, then you make a career change. No, um, you know, to that, I, I, I was in the military right out of high school. And, and after that, I got into the general labor workforce, uh, started going into doing a lot of refinery work. And with that, you didn't, you know, you traveled a lot. Uh, so I've always been a traveler, uh, worked in the oil field a little bit. Um, Worked in the structural steel industry as well. Uh, so kudos to you working at, at Nucor. Uh, yeah. That's pretty <laughs> awesome. Uh, but it's uh, how do you get into it? I actually got into it actually on a turnaround at one of the refineries. Uh, they needed a safety coordinator for that turnaround. Uh, and if we didn't have one, what they were going to do is not let us work. So uh, supervisor said, hey, Pedro, you, you know, you seem like you got a good head on your shoulders. Uh, I need you to be our safety guy. Here's, you know, here's your OSHA 30. Um, you, you can do it. I'm like, OK, because I've seen the other safety professionals walking around, uh, you know, inside the control rooms, drinking coffee, talking to people, <laughs> telling people to put their, you know, hard hats on, put their glasses on. I was like, OK, this is easy. I can do this. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can do this. This is easy. But it, it wasn't until I started asking the questions, you know, why did they get into safety? Um, got myself a mentor and, you know, that's all she wrote. Now, you know, traveling, that you, that's just the luck of the draw. Some, it hasn't always been traveled. Mm -hmm. uh, most, of, most of my career I have traveled, but there has been uh, a few stints where I've uh, worked in structural steel fabrication. Uh, in both Texas as well as Virginia. So two big fabricators. Um, and yeah, worked. Uh, and that brings a whole different ball game because again, construction versus general industry, two mm -hmm. different um, books that we have to go by. 
that's what I was just about to ask was, are you like me that moves around? It sounds like you're, you do more of working in the factories and not so much um, on the construction sites. Is that correct? Uh, no, I work at, I do, I do both. Uh, I, I'm, okay. I can do the factory and work, you know, in the general industry setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also, I, I prefer to be on a construction site, me personally. The, from, yeah, the, from the ground up, earthwork. You know, all all of the civil, uh, up up until the iron gets up there. You know, I used to slang iron and, and be a, an iron worker, so that was always a fun climbing, being at heights, being tied off. You know, putting yeah. the building together. Yeah, all the way until commissioning. So that's that's pretty cool too that you have seen both sides of it. One thing that I have found with safety is is there's this thing called OSHA. And so, like you've mentioned, is there's this difference between construction sites and manufacturing. But OSHA is this organization, Occupational Safety and Health Administration. And so, like you mentioned, you had your OSHA 30. I have my OSHA OSHA 10. So can you explain what OSHA is and why we... So OSHA is the, like you said, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. It's the administration that, that governs... Uh, all of your workforce, workplace activities um, for certain industries, such as construction, uh, new construction, and anything that isn't new construction. So once a building is completely built, then it turns into general industry. Um, and, and both both of those uh, industries, construction and general industry, have similar um, rules and regulations. But what OSHA is, is it gives you a, a baseline of where you need to be. And, and it, again, you can always go above and beyond what OSHA gives you as a baseline. Uh, but you can never go below the minimum OSHA standard. Uh, so they, they are a governing body. They're the guidelines, all the rules and regulations that come out that are out inside the, you know, code of... Uh, the federal regulations, the CFR 1926 for construction, 1910 for general industry. Those are the numbers. Um, but in those, all of those rules that are there, somebody had to get hurt. Mm-hmm. Fellow people <laughs> had to lose their yep. lives. So they say those are written in blood uh, because somebody had to, Something had to happen to somebody for us to make a rule, for OSHA to make a rule, so that way it doesn't continue to happen. And it's us as safety professionals, as project managers, as supervision to protect the workforce, but also to educate the workforce on why safety is so important, on what OSHA is. And you said you have an OSHA 10. So the OSHA 10 is 10 hours of uh OSHA construction training uh over your, you know your basic um things that you would find on a construction site fall protection lockout tagout fire protection fire suppression uh cranes and derricks forklifts all, all kinds of stuff structural steel on a construction site um you know confined space entry excavations those types of things that you would find brand new construction 
Uh, once you go into the OSHA 30, that's more for a, a, a supervisory role, which I, I believe, Megan, you'd end up having yeah. your OSHA 30 here soon. Um, and that gives you a little more in-depth. The record-keeping, first-aid CPR-type activities, um, how to set up a safety committee and safety brigade, uh, different types of tactics to understand your workforce. So it goes a little more in-depth of what a supervisor would end up doing on a construction site. And it's crazy. Going back to working at Nucor is whenever I worked there, in order to start, they actually have you go through in, it was, I thought it was an OSHA 40. Is that... Or maybe it wasn't OSHA 30, but we had to go through um, to work at Nucor because it, the safety requirements and working around steel and just taking that extra precaution, especially being interns. They really did make you go through this a whole week long of OSHA courses. And one cool thing that I do think about OSHA that I found online is that so since OSHA um, has been passed, so before OSHA was passed, 11 per 100 workers were dying at work, which I think is, that's like 10%. Then, um, now, in 2009, the last report, it was 3.9 per 100 workers, which I still think is a little high, but it's, it's definitely not as high as what it was. And so I really do think that OSHA has helped us to create safer work environments. And like you said, it's, it's, the, not, it's the bare minimum. You can always go above. And so one thing about OSHA is understanding that it is this administration. And so can OSHA show up unannounced and can they shut down a business, Pedro? Yes and yes. Uh, yep, so, they can. <laughs> yes, they can. And, 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 and you know, there, there, there's a couple of reasons why OSHA would show up. You know, first and foremost, if you have uh, a catastrophic injury or fatality, um, you know, say you, you're on a construction site, tower crane ends up collapsing, trapping people. We get everybody mm-hmm. out, nobody dies, but because of the tower crane falling, that's a catastrophic incident. OSHA is going to show up. They're going to come do an investigation. Um, you know, then they have what they call scheduled visits. So, you know, all the different OSHA offices throughout the United States have a list of certain industries, certain companies that they visit. Some of them are on the two-year cycle. Some of are on, some are on a, a three-year cycle. The more frequent you get visited, it's because your safety record is not all that great and you're having a lot of incidents, which then you're reporting that to OSHA and the Bureau of Labor Statistics, which then reports those to OSHA and that's where they get their information from. Uh, so they come on site, they can shut the job down. Uh, I have been part of these walks and you know when, when they are scheduled, uh, they come in they say, hey, I'm here to walk your site. Here's what I'm going to be looking for. I need the safety professional, the project manager. We'll go into a conference. We'll, you know, he'll state his, uh, his or her case, show the credentials. Uh, we'll then, you know, he'll give us the, the whole shebang of why the person is there. And then we escort him around the site. Um, usually we try to let them walk. But within reason, 
again, they're not just going to go onto any site and just walk willingly. Um, but as I've been on both sides, being a corporate safety director, uh, the company does have that option to um, say, no, you're not allowed on the property. You're not allowed to tour our site which is okay, but what's going to end up happening. And so your listeners understand if you have CEOs that listen, uh, that want to ever buck the system and say, Hey, I do not want OSHA on my site. They're going to go and say, okay, Mr. CEO, Mr. Owner operator, I will be back with 10 of my friends and a subpoena. And then there is nothing you can do about it. And then they are going to hit you with everything (laughs) underneath the sun that they find. So you can and, get shut yeah. down. Yep. Uh, sometimes if, if you, if you play nice again, the low hanging fruit, and this is where safety is a, is a cultural thing. Everybody has to participate. Tripping hazards, low mm-hmm. hanging fruit. electrical cords, low hanging fruit, inspections, your paperwork, your documentation mm-hmm. on, on the site, making sure it's up to par. They'll ask to see a binder. They'll see, you know, ask to look at some of the operator's credentials, making sure that that is up to date. All your operators have their licenses, have some type of card saying they are qualified and competent enough to operate this piece of equipment. And then usually they write you a little recommendation. Here's what you might need to fix before the next scheduled. And they, you know, go on their merry way. If they find anything that's really, really hazardous, they'll come. They'll put in their recommendations, and then usually the area director would then contact the company, and you have some kind of exchange there with um, maybe a citation. Uh, um, usually it comes in, in monetary value, but if you abate it, they throw those out, or they lessen what the uh, fine is. And I think it I think it really is important to know what you just said there is is it is the culture and it's the small things like on my site you we have to make sure that we have the SDS sheets printed out in a binder um, so that way then if OSHA comes you can point directly to them. And so it is this culture that you have but everyone has to you have, everyone has to have these sheets. It's not just one person. Um, or one contractor, you have to have them for the job site. What is one way that you would like to kind of help to promote this? Like what would be if you had to pick like the future, like your ball that you could, your crystal ball to see into the future, what would be the one thing that you would like to do to change the culture around safety? Changing the culture around safety, um, personally, more C-suite, involvement mm-hmm. uh, you know the, the workforce even even the subcontractors uh you know your subcontractors and owners of these uh different trades go out there and see what your guys and gals are doing what environments they're subjected to and having to work in so that way you get a better understanding of you know the reasoning why they might be taking a shortcut because uh with without that without your involvement out to the site and understanding that um, it's just going to be a, a continuous cycle to where we we don't fix things. So looking into my crystal ball, uh, a little more engagement 
from mm-hmm. the upper management. Again, put your put your gloves on, put your hard hat on, go out there one day <laughs> in jeans. You don't have to be in slacks or you know, uh, in in your office attire. You can come out there in jeans, put your work boots on. You don't even have to touch anything, but just coming out there and, and showing up and, and being there for the safety talk, being out there and asking the guys and gals, what can I do to help? We'll go a long way and, and start to build that rapport and that culture around safety. And I like the topic that you you've touched on twice is really just making sure that people understand the why. And Jocko get actually came to or gave this virtual talk for my company and his whole and I think he gives this talk to quite a few companies is um, your why is like if you let people know the why of like why you're doing this, why you're doing this safety procedure, why are we doing this or that really you can people want to do it more because they understand the purpose. And I really like that you've touched on that um, kind of just in two separate examples. Yeah, it, 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 and you go to the the workforce who are doing the work, who have been in the trades for many years. They understand the why. Their why is the next paycheck. Their why is the grandkids mm-hmm. or the, the kids that they have at home, the bills that they need to pay. But underneath that, that monetary why, why have they been an iron worker for so long? Why have they stuck with being a carpenter? Um and understanding some of the tricks of the trade, uh, they might not always be the safest, but the tricks that help them streamline their process. And that's where uh, safety comes in and understanding that why. Well, why did you do it? And they give you an answer. And then you sit back and think, okay, that's his why. So how am I going to get them to understand my why? And that's mm-hmm. where the you know the, that gray area where those two bridges come together, the production and safety, and they meet right in the middle. And you're always jumping back and forth again. Yeah. We have a deadline to push. Our customer needs this <laughs> building for, you know, X Y Z. Before yeah, for X Y Z before the time that we have allotted to give it to them, but they mm-hmm. want it early. <laughs> always, always, always. And then, um, and I just, I really do like the, the idea of creating the why. And one thing that we did do at another job site that I've been is we actually had people print out a photo of their why. And we actually, so you had, you printed it out and you hung it on your safety vest. And so everyone around the job site had these pictures of, you know, their kids, their wife. One guy slipped um, a hundred dollar bill in there. I was like, that's brave. I want to set that down. But yeah, just the why does help. And so I have a fun last game for us to play. And so um, I have these best self cards and I really enjoyed using them um, throughout the podcast to just dig a little deeper and so there's different groups that you can pick from and so ask you which um category you would like read you the question and then we'll go from there so your categories are courage or self-awareness self-awareness how do you best receive criticism openly with an open mind uh whether it's good or bad, um, it's it, it's a learning opportunity. So any kind of criticism, 
that, that you receive. And this is for any safety professional, any project manager, any new uh, body coming to the site. It's when somebody gives you feedback, somebody gives you criticism, constructive criticism, uh, very detailed criticism, take it for what it's worth at face value, but don't say anything. Analyze what's being told. Think about what you're doing and, and understand that somebody might see something that you might not see. Um, this is a, a big reason of, uh, of being self-aware, and I, and, I, and I like that. Thank you for asking the question. But, yeah, I, 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 t- I receive criticism very open-mindedly because I know I'm not perfect. Uh, I definitely strive to be perfect, but uh, I know I will never be perfect. But I'm always learning, always willing to adapt and, uh, you know, for the better. I'm a really good listener. So I would have to say that you probably did take his advice then. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the God, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a <laughs> to do more listening and to only speak when you have something very important to say. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. I agree with that. Well, (laughs) except for (laughs) podcasts and your podcasts are wonderful. So it's a good thing to say. So where can we find you, Pedro? Uh, everywhere. Uh, on the, on the the milk carton sometimes. I'm just joking. Uh, I'm Uh, about, yeah, probably. (laughs) Yeah. No, you can find me everywhere. Uh, Facebook, Facebook and Instagram, uh, at the X factor safety. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, linkedin.com forward slash Pedro Maciel uh, hyphen CHST. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Twitter's uh, very unique. It's either Pedro Maciel or at SafetyX underscore factor. Uh, you can find me on Clubhouse. You can find me on Twitter spaces, anywhere. Just look for me, uh, Pedro Maciel. He's everywhere. I, yeah, and if you uh, if you're on Clubhouse, he does get on the morning chat rooms. I listen in every now and then um, as I'm getting ready in the morning, and so wonderful place to get to know him um, if you need podcasting advice as well. And so I do want to end in this quote. Um, I did find was, this is probably the best quote that I found about safety, um, just kind of the overall culture. And so um, just ending with this is safety doesn't happen by accident. And so I love the play on words, the accident, safety doesn't doesn't happen by accident. And so really safety does start with people listening to this podcast, creating, changing the culture and communicating around it and what you're doing and making sure that everyone on the job site's safe because at the end of the day, we're all trying to go home. So yeah. thank you, Pedro. And no, yeah, thank you, Megan. Greatly appreciate it. I, I, it. It was a pleasure, a blast. I, I can't thank you enough. I hope you can listen.